This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. When working to improve your safety and health management system, there's a good possibility that you might run into some resistance along the way. Here with me today to talk about some of the common objections safety managers hear and how to address or overcome those is Pam Walaski. Pam is a certified safety professional with nearly 25 years of experience in occupational safety and health. She is also Senior Program Director at Specialty Technical Consultants. Uh, Pam, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here as well. And uh, nice way to start out this sort of newish year to have a conversation with you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, happy to happy to be talking to you today. Now, as I mentioned there, you know, as as you're working to improve your safety and health management system, you might be trying to do, you know, a lot of different initiatives, different measures you're trying to put in place. And, you know, you, you may run into some resistance uh, along the way. So I thought we could open up by kind of just talking about a few, you know, common objections that safety managers might hear or come across in the course of their work. Yeah, um, you know, and and the interesting thing is, I was thinking about and getting ready for our conversation today is that the objections that you hear now are the same objections that have been around forever. I swear, um, you know, I, I I've been in this field for almost thirty years, and when I used to start way back doing webinars and other kinds of presentations, I would always get the same question during the Q and A period, and that is, how can I convince my management to do this or that or pay for this or pay for that. So it's kind of the standard question that we've always had asked. And before I answer your first question, the only thing I would say before we start is that the foundation of everything that I think I want to say has to do with the idea that how much it will cost in terms of time and money is the wrong place to start. And I think when we start with that, when we lead with that as the reason why we should do something, that's why we continue to get those different kinds of responses, the sort of negative responses. So I think foundations have to be built first. However, the common objections almost always are exactly what I said. It's too much money. We don't have the money in our budget right now. Maybe it's not too much money, but it's just not in our budget right now. Uh, it's not high enough on our list of priorities. You know, yeah, that's nice, but we'd rather do this first. And it's just not needed here. It's not something we have to worry about. Most often that third objection, I think you hear in situations where it hasn't happened here. I think we need to address this particular risk because somebody could be seriously, seriously injured. We could have property damage, whatever it is, that's the problem. The, the response is we haven't had to deal with that. That's never happened here. So why do we have to spend all this time and money and all those things to address a risk that doesn't exist here? So I think those are probably the three time, money, and it's not an issue here are probably the three most common ones that I think I hear, I've heard, I hear other people hear. I'm curious, have you seen in, in conversations, are there common ones that maybe come from frontline workers as well, as far as, you know, common objections that safety managers might hear? 
I think they tend to come along a, a, a set of themes as well. I think, you know, you hear about the, the safety flavor of the month. You know, this is the new initiative and yeah, we're going to roll this out and we'll spend all this time. And then two months later, we're just going to kind of drop it and let it die. And so why should I spend all my time and energy paying attention to this new initiative? I think that's one. I think uh, the other one, which I think is really a genuine uh, objection and one that we should pay better attention to is you didn't ask us. You didn't ask us what the problem was. And so you're solving a, a problem we don't have, which is kind of similar to the one we were talking about before, which where leadership might say it's not a problem here, but it's a little bit of a tweak where the workforce might say that's really not as big of an issue as this. And, you know, here you want us to spend all this time on this, but it's from our perspective at the sharp end of the stick, it's really not as big of a deal. So I think from the worker's perspective, it generally has that concept of we'll do this now and then it'll go away. And, and you know, you're, you're really not asking us what we need to be paying attention to. I think those are the biggest objections. Okay. Now, if there are objections in those areas, how can, you know, safety professionals best bring those out? You know, if people are reluctant to talk about those or, you know, how, how do you usually, you know, find out about these objections if they do exist? Well, I think it's probably easier to get uh, responses to requests from management or leadership. Um, they'll tell you no. Maybe they won't tell you exactly why, but they'll tell you no. And, and I think that the challenge there is that if they said no, is it because you didn't present your case very well? And was there something about the way you presented why you felt this was something that was important that led to that decision? And so, you know, back to that idea of foundations, you know, one of the things that I think safety professionals need to do in their workplaces is make sure that everybody in the, in the uh, organization, both leadership and workers, are kind of on the same page about what our biggest problems are. And I talk about sort of a, a technique uh, that I think I've heard used in many other places, but I think it works really well. And that is trying to identify in your organization, what are the top five risks? What are the top five things, both in terms of severity of incident and probability of occurrence that we as an organization need to be working on or, or paying attention to? And when you can get consensus in your organization that everybody agrees, these are the things that are the most important to us right now. I think it's much easier to make the case for this particular initiative will help address this particular risk. And so you tie it to something that everybody already agrees needs to be dealt with. And that's what I meant earlier about foundations. And so, you know, you may uh, go to a safety conference and you may hear about a great program and think, oh, I'd love to do that in my organization. And you go back and you're excited and you're all ready to go, but nobody sees it as a problem. So until you get everybody in the same place with what you think the risks are that you need to be addressing, it's a lot harder to make that case, both with management and with workers. So I, I generally suggest to people that if you're finding your initiatives are not being uh, approved or people are objecting to them, then maybe take a look at what people think really are the problems. And as I said, if you can get the organization to agree on what they are, 
then you've got the ship moving in the same direction. You know, uh, you've got everybody paying attention to and laser focused on those. So, so I think that's one way to get that uh, objections reduced, getting people focused on the same thing. I think the other one has to do with having that engagement and those conversations uh, with people in general first. And so when you talk about how do I how do I get workers to tell me what their objections are when I ask them and they look down at the ground, you know, I have a, a safety committee meeting and I, I get no participation. People just don't want to talk about it. And I think that's where if you don't have the foundation that I'm really interested in what you have to say, that I'm I'm interested in hearing your perspective then when you ask people, they aren't going to answer. There, there's a, a, one of my favorite uh, folks in our, our space uh, is Rosa Carrillo, and she does something called relationship-centered safety, safety leadership, excuse me. And one of the things that she says is, two things she says that I think are really important here. One, people will speak up if they feel it's in their best interest to do so, and if they feel it's safe to do so. And so if people aren't speaking up, then there's a reason why they don't feel it's either in their best interest or safe. And and you have to recognize that maybe the solution isn't to keep asking, but is to create the environment where asking gets the answer, where people feel safe to answer your questions and to bring that stuff up. The other thing she talks about is something called uh, 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 inclusion precedes accountability. So if you want people to be accountable for a particular program or initiative, um, then that inclusion has to come first. And if you haven't done that first, if you haven't asked those questions and created that relationship with your workforce where they want to talk to you, then you're going to have those objections. And, and those objections can be open objections where people look at you like you've grown two heads or they could be those kind of silent objections where people look at you and they nod their heads and then they go away and do whatever it is that they intended to do in the first place. And you're left saying to yourself, well, why isn't this working? Why aren't people doing this? Because I thought they all agreed. They said yes. But when that's happening, I think that that's a really important key and a clue that you have to pay attention to. Yes, uh, Rosa was on uh, the podcast back a few months ago and talked about the importance of relationship building, and it, and it is so critical to to all of this. Now, you, you touched on quite a few of them there, but when it comes to addressing those those different objections and whatever those might be, and if we want to kind of take take those kind of one at a time, what what's the best way to to make the case? I don't know, say against each of those objections, but kind of taking taking the next step in, in addressing those and moving forward in a positive way. How would you encourage safety professionals to go about that? One thing I think we we have to pay better attention to when we're working with our senior leadership is in somehow tying what we're promoting, suggesting that we do to a business objective. One of the things that I say is we have to stop saying OSHA says. Complying with the OSHA standards are important. Absolutely advocate for that. That's the basic legal requirement that we have as an organization and the safety professionals. We are we have to understand those requirements. But that's not the only reason businesses do things is because OSHA says they have to. Businesses do things and organizations do things to make money, to sell their product or their services. And until we can tie what we think 
needs to be done new or differently to those business objectives or that strategic plan, um, it's much harder to make a convincing argument. So we should be asking ourselves, I'd like to do this project, this initiative, whatever. How does it tie to our current strategic plan? How can I put those two of those things together and go upstream, as they say, and make sure that I can say, here's our strategic objective, and here's how this will help support us achieving that objective. And I think when you can tie those things together, that's important. I know a lot of safety professionals use things like return on investment and cost benefit analysis. And I think when you're talking about spending money, I think that those are important. But even if you get a good return on your investment, or you can prove that there's a uh, cost benefit to the spending the money, if it doesn't tie to our current strategic objectives, then it, it doesn't necessarily matter if we get a return on our investment in two years or three years or five years. It still has to be connected there somehow. Sometimes I think safety professionals are disconnected from that part of their organization's operations, maybe because they don't get to take part in the development of the strategic plan. They're not high enough in the chain of command. But I think you really have to be careful not to say OSHA says, which is not to say that we don't care whether people get hurt or not. That's not my point. But, but saying somebody's going to get hurt if we don't do this, I don't think that that's the way to get attention of our senior leadership. So to your point, is it more of a becoming familiar with the business your organization's doing, becoming familiar with your, your strategic plan and taking a more holistic view of your business and its operations to help strengthen your, your case for different initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you may know as a safety professional what your organization produces, services or products or whatever, but really having a strong fundamental understanding of how the organization functions, how it makes money, how it governs itself, and all of those kind of key pieces give you that depth of understanding of your organization that, that give you some of those clues as to how to present your case and how to present the information that's needed. I don't think we get enough of that in the early stages of our careers as safety professionals. Some of us learn uh, the hard way, but there aren't a lot of, we spend a lot of our early career learning our technical skills, learning how to do lockout tag out on a piece of machinery and teach other people how to do it learning how to safely enter a confined space or how to put on a personal fall arrest system and, and put that all together, that very technical stuff. But some of those business skills are areas that I don't think we get enough of. And I think, you know, for its part, ASSP has certainly tried to provide opportunities in terms of some of their courses and some of the webinars and things that they do to provide that education for our members so that we learn and have the opportunity to understand that stuff better. But I'm not sure that everybody gets that until a little bit later in their career. So, you know, maybe early on, you're not as successful as you would like to be because you, you're not sure why people don't like your idea. <laughs> it's a great idea, but they don't, just don't like it. They don't, they don't like it for some reason. Have, have you found, is there, or can there be an element of compromise if it's, you know, you, you come to them with an idea, then it's just a hard no, like, no, that's, that's not happening. Are there ways to kind of keep that conversation going to maybe you don't get exactly what you want, but you kind of get moving what in what you think is, is the right direction? You know, can, can you find some compromise? I mean, both among your management and your, your workforce to, 
you know, get headed in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Compromise and consensus building are really critical skills. And sort of back to what we were talking about before, which is that if you uh, if if you ask your workforce, you know, about a particular issue and they just look at you with blank stares, that tells you that that ability to develop a consensus, uh, you don't have that with your workforce and that you need to learn how you can better develop that particular process. But again, the time to start trying to develop consensus and compromise isn't at the 11th hour when you've submitted your proposal. It's before when you're developing something. And and if it doesn't come from a collaborative effort with you and the people who are directly involved in what you're proposing, and if they aren't signing off on it and supporting it, um, and if their handprints aren't all over it, then I think you've missed the boat. And even if you know you're successful, let's just say those objections fall away and and you get the green light, then the program as you run it or the initiative as you implement it is probably not going to be successful either. And you're sort of back at that square one uh, frustration piece where you know I, I thought this was a great idea, I thought everybody was on board, but now here we are, sort of stuck again. Um, but, and when you find yourself in those places, I think it's very tempting to say, well, nobody told me or or I didn't understand. But I think you have to be willing to say, where did I miss the boat in terms of trying to pull that consensus together and that compromise in terms of what people felt was the best way to approach a problem and how to solve it. The other thing, though, that I would just kind of take it in a completely different direction and just kind of throw this out here, too. There are times when you have to be prepared to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. So, for example, an organization that I worked for a number of years ago, when I started working for them after about a year, I came to the conclusion that the biggest problem we had was our motor vehicle usage. Um, We were a consulting firm, environmental and engineering consulting firm. And on any given day, we had as many as 150 different people out on the road in employee company cars, ATVs, uh, UTVs, dump trucks, uh, pickup trucks, you name it. We were driving all kinds of vehicles. We had been incredibly lucky to that point in terms of incidents involving vehicles, both property damage as well as injuries to employees. And we leased our vehicles. So, you know, if we had an accident, we just sent that vehicle in and they gave us a new one. And maybe we paid more the next year. And I spent a lot of time trying to convince our executive committee that we really needed to do a little better job being proactive in how we were managing that risk. And I got a lot of blank stares and just no, I just couldn't get people engaged in that. And I was so sure. And so I kind of let it go and abandoned it. And in the space of a couple of weeks, we had two very serious accidents. Both situations, the employees walked away with minor injuries, but the photographs of their completely demolished vehicles provided me with the opportunity I'd been looking for. And I was able to use those photographs to put together a presentation uh, at a, I had a brief time in the executive committee meeting. And I kind of went in there with those pictures and I said, this is what happened. And it it really turned them around to appreciate where we were and what we needed to be doing about it. So if I hadn't been ready to take advantage of that opportunity, we might not have done that. And I got the green light to do a lot of great stuff with our motor vehicle accidents and motor vehicle usage policies and procedures and training and all kinds of things. 
just because the opportunity presented itself and I grabbed it. So that's, you know, no matter what the objections are or aren't, don't forget to be ready for those chances when you get them. That's a great example. Yes. A picture is worth a thousand words as they say. And that's, that's a good example. And I, I love your, your, your other point about, you know, getting the, involvement of your of your workforce because to your point if you go and just say you know i want to do this because i think it's the right thing to do or this will get us in compliance with osha standards or something like that then that's you know that's not good enough but you can say you know i've talked to the people that this is going to impact i have their support then that's just going to make your case even stronger when you take that to your management right right and you know don't forget that sometimes the best ideas aren't yours Sometimes the best ideas of things that need to be done or improvements that can be made come directly from your workforce. But if you don't have that foundation, that relationship, that respect, you're not going to hear them. You're just not going to get that information. People have to know that there's a a saying that's attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, which is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that kind of is, is, uh, that's the way I've tried to approach it, that, you know, I care about your safety, I care about how you do your work. And it doesn't matter if I know all the regulations by heart, if I don't care about you as a person, as a valuable member of this organization, then, you know, that respect goes two ways. Uh, Okay. Is there uh, anything else you'd like to add about uh, addressing objections in the the workplace as we uh, wrap up? Just to kind of go back to the first thing I said at the beginning, which is foundations, foundations, foundations. Uh, If you don't have those built in place first in terms of what you know about your organization's strategic plan and the relationships with your workers and the people who are doing the work in your organization, uh, those objections are going to keep coming up and you're going to have a hard time uh, dealing with them. But if you put those foundations in place and then work together as a group, as a partnership with your worker and with your senior leadership, I think you'll have a better shot. You may still get objections, but you'll be better over to overcome them. All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Pam. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I know you've given uh, safety professionals a lot of uh, a lot of good uh, things to, to think about. So uh, thank you again for coming on and sharing your perspective. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Join us at Safety Focus February 21st through the 25th, 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona, and online February 21st through March 4th. Register today at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at assp.org and follow us on Twitter at assp safety. We'll see you next time.